I'm very, very grateful for everyone in my life that I have met along the way and the massive network that I have that have that I feel like I, I've, I've stood out of I've gone out of my way to help people along the path of my life. And I finally feel like all of those things that I have done for people is now coming back because people are coming out of the woodwork that I kind of forgot that I had a moment with them. And now they're like, you know, standing up and going, look at Destiny, look what she's doing. She's amazing. And they're sharing my business and they're telling their friends about me. And it just feels so satisfying that no matter how hard my path has been, I f- at least feel like I've made connections through my life that at this moment is p- finally like feeling like I, I, I did something right. <laughs> and that's Destiny Mosert, or better yet, Chef Destiny, on this episode of Time to Sing Your Song. So many people have a voice inside of their head that tells them they can't do it that they're just not good enough. They don't have the proper education or they didn't go to the right school. Or maybe the time's just not right. These are the beliefs that dash so many dreams, but not for destiny. You see, at the height of COVID, she went to cooking school and she started two home chef businesses. And in less than 15 months, she is kicking butt. Her businesses are thriving and she is singing her song. Destiny initially didn't think it was possible to pursue her dream of becoming a chef. She had adult responsibilities, and the idea of being away from her kids with the crazy hours chefs work just didn't work for her. Unsure where the chefing thing could go, she dipped her toes in the water. She signed up for an accelerated cooking school, and that's where she discovered the art of personal chefing. What makes Destiny's story so inspirational and replicable is that she has succeeded despite the challenges in her life. Yes, she has a learning disorder. Yes, she didn't do well in school. And yes, she doesn't have a college degree. But Destiny has something so much more important. She has a mindset that doesn't see limitations. If someone tells her no, she keeps pushing. If she fails, she dusts herself off. She keeps going. Sounds basic, right? But so many people don't pursue their dreams because of the excuses that they conjure up in their mind. Maybe it's in her name, Destiny. But one thing's for sure, when Destiny sets her mind to it, it's pretty likely that it's going to come true. If you are someone with a boatload of excuses weighing down your dream, take a listen to my conversation with Chef Destiny. It may just be what you need to take that first step. So let's get to it. My conversation with Chef Destiny. Destiny Moser, welcome to Time to Sing Your Song. Hey, Mike. Glad to be here. Pretty fired up about this one. Uh, Destiny, this podcast really is all about people who see opportunity in challenging times. And, you know, when I heard your backstory, that was absolutely true for you at a time when, when most people, quite frankly, were hunkering down. Can you tell us about the business that you started at the height of COVID? Yeah. So the height of COVID, my kids were home all day, homeschooling like many of us. We were kind of struggling to figure out like 
how to manage it all. And I was put in a position where I kind of stepped back from my job and I started thinking about, well, what can I do if I'm not working full time to keep myself busy? I don't like I don't like sitting around doing nothing. I'm, I'm, I, a lot of people will say I have ADHD. I've never been diagnosed with it, but I'm not good at just sitting doing nothing. So I thought about the main problem that I had in my life before COVID, and that was trying to get healthy meals on the table. My husband is anaphylactic to dairy, and so I can't do those meal programs. A lot of the things in the freezer are pop it in the or pop it in the oven food. Uh, for example, they have uh, dairy in them. And so I was thinking, why can I not hire someone to help me cook? And so I thought about it and I decided to start a personal chef business where I would help families like mine get healthy meals on the table that was customized to them and the needs that they have. And so I started Food Zen. I'd love just to share a bit of background on who you are. You have when we talked, a really inspirational backstory that I think our, our listeners would love to hear. So maybe just start at the beginning a bit about Destiny. Yeah, so I'm Destiny. <laughs> and um, <laughs> everybody always asks, like, where did you get your name from? And it's a name that my biological dad liked and he wanted to name his daughter Destiny one day. So it doesn't have any like really cool story behind it, but I was born in the Waterloo region area. I'm 50% indigenous. My mom is part of the 60s scoop, which means that she was part of a group of kids that was taken from their communities, put it into the foster care system. And then she was adopted by a family here in Waterloo region. My family is gigantic. Um, my, I think my mom has about 110 cousins. My dad's in the hundred and something as well. And so I grew up with a large family around me, a big support system around me. Um, even though I come from a family of adoption, I did go through a little bit of a crisis at one point thinking like, where do I get my you know, personality from? I'm, I'm kind of artistic. So, you know, I like singing. My mom was never a good singer. So I always thought, where do I get these things from? And when I actually sat down and thought about it, I realized that so much of who I am comes from my grandma and my aunt. And a funny story too, is that my, my stepdad, so he adopted me. He's my dad. He's the one that raised me. He's my dad. He adopted me when I was seven. And he definitely was meant to be my dad. We have the same aneurysms, mannerisms, sorry. We have the same mannerisms. When I walk into a room, people will be like, oh, you must be Jer's daughter. And I'm like, how do you know? And they're like, you look exactly like him. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I it, it, we're not even the same ethnicity, but I definitely feel that you there is something about nurture versus nature that has definitely come to play in my life. Uh, growing up, I struggled a lot with friends. Like I got bullied a lot. Um, I wasn't great at school. And it turns out the reason I wasn't great at school wasn't because I was dumb or I couldn't grasp it. As an adult, I've learned that I've actually pretty smart. I've developed um, mechanisms for keeping everything you tell me. And so I have a really good memory. I can remember, you know, things like what you were wearing and what song was playing. If you kind of go back to a moment. And um, it turns out that I have mild dyslexia. And so on paper, it would come off or even when I'm speaking, I don't, um, 
I'm not so good with words. And I'm also really bad with left and rights and things like that, that I may come off not very educated. But then on paper, it's a little bit different because I can articulate better. I know what I need to say. There's lots of tools now for me to work with uh, to help me get through life. Uh, So, you know, I tried the university route. It, It didn't really work in my favor. And so I started at this company, a friend of me, a sorry, a friend of mine vouched for me and I started at this mm. company working as somebody who just answered the phone. And to even get the job there, they said I needed to have a college degree. And at the time I thought, well, this is crazy because I'm just answering a phone. People are telling me what their problem is and I'm just copying what they say and that's it. I don't have to try and solve the problem. But you know, they were like, you need to have a college degree and I didn't. So this amazing person and every single time something great happens to me in my life, especially career career wise, I always remember her and I always thank her. And her name was Michelle and she vouched for me and said, no, she's smart. She'll learn things really quickly. And she got my foot in the door. And I worked at that company for 12 years. And when I left, I was a senior manager. So it kind of became my education. But throughout that time I was there, I had to constantly fight to get certain positions. Like I had a manager one time when I applied for a supervisor role tell me that I couldn't get that job because I didn't have a degree and therefore people wouldn't take me seriously when I signed off on certain things. And I thought, okay, I I guess that's true. But my manager after that was like, Destiny, why are you not applying for the the supervisor roles? And I was like, because I was told I wasn't going to be taken seriously. And he said to me, he said, every time I come into work and every time I come back from lunch, there's a lineup at your desk. People depend on you for answers. People look to you as a leader. And I think from that point on, I realized that – like no matter what, I I was going to always just be the best I can be. And even when something was unattainable, I kind of was like, you know what? I'm just going to try anyways because the worst they're going to tell me is no. And then I'm going to ask, well, why? And I'll just keep pushing to do it. So, you know, that's a really long way to go about it. But <laughs> well, no, no. I But I love the fact that basically somebody told you, well, I don't love the fact that somebody did this, but they basically told you, listen, because you don't have the credential, you can't take this role. But then you had somebody that came to you, almost, you know, some of these, um, I don't know, people that were looking out for you, whether it was Michelle or this individual, like, no, Destiny, you can actually do this. And I think what I hear you're saying now is that if somebody tells you no, or if there's an obstacle in the way, you just keep pushing and you've adopted that mindset, which I, I personally love as, you know, what's the worst that could happen? They say no again. Okay, move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I don't know if I necessarily adopted it because of those two instances, because it's something that I feel I've always had embedded in me. A good example would be I had a teacher in grade school who told my parents, after only knowing me for two weeks, that I was so dumb that I'd be lucky to get past grade nine. Mm. And so I took that and was like, you know what? No, like I'm not. And then I also applied for a job when I was 13 or 14 that I didn't get. And I remember going, okay, I understand why I didn't get it because I didn't have an experience. So I didn't 
I didn't feel bad about it. Like they weren't rejecting me. There was just somebody else who was better than me at the time. But I wanted them to know that I still was interested. And I had to go through the mall to get home from school every day anyways. And so I would purposely walk by that store every day. It was actually a food a food restaurant, so funny enough that I ended up in food in the long run. But I walked by it every day and just said hi. Like I didn't say I didn't stop and have a conversation. I just made a point that if I see the manager and they're standing there, I'm just going to say hi. And one day she was like, are you still looking for a job? And I was like, yeah. And they hired me. <laughs> I love that. There's so many people out there that will take no for an answer. Maybe this is something that you were born with, but what would you, what would you tell them? You know, those folks that are like, mm, you know what, that job's not for me or or maybe I just wasn't good enough, or you know, maybe I'm not smart enough going back to your grade school example, what would you tell them? I mean, there's so many quotes and so many celebrities and so many people who kind of say the same thing over and over again, that life is not perfect. You have to hear no to learn. If you always hear yes, what do you learn from it? And so hearing no just makes you stronger. It makes you reevaluate. It makes you think, well, what do I have to do differently to get what I want? Right. And so, and sometimes you hear no for something you really are passionate about, but it takes you down a different path. And then all of a sudden at the end of the day, you realize, well, this is probably where I was supposed to be. Right. And so I always thought that I was going to end up in, in one place because I, I thought I was going to be, you know, working in like a, in, a as a cashier or uh, in a in a clothing store, and, and those are great jobs. But I really, in my mind, thought this is what I'm going to do because that's all that's all I know how to do, and I did it really well. I'd never imagined that I'd end up in the tech world, managing mergers and acquisitions for a major company. I I just never thought that because. I had heard no so many times that I had to reevaluate like what direction I wanted to go in. And so I just, I would say that hearing no is an important lesson for us and it does make us stronger. It does make us reevaluate. And if you let it take over you, you're almost giving up. So don't give up. What I find fascinating is that you talked about the fact that you went to this IT organization where you're answering the phone. My guess is probably at that time you had absolutely no clue where you would be today. And my guess is that if you actually took that cashier job, you probably would have just based on the mentality and the mindset that you've cultivated, you probably would have taken it somewhere that was equally awesome. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. I've been the first job I had, the one that I didn't get hired for. I had said hi every day until they were like, oh, you still looking for a job? And I said, yes. Within a year, I was uh, an assistant manager there. And then within a few years, I was the manager of three of their stores. So I, I think that for me, that's my personality. Like I've always just thought don't tell me no. If you say no, I'm going to find a way to just be the best I can be. And maybe I won't be the best out of everyone, but I'm just going to keep doing my best. And for whatever reason, that has continued to help me throughout my entire life with anything. 
Destiny, can you make this real? So you, you get this job at 13 and, and we don't even have to use this example. You could take another one, uh, but it sounds like there's a lot of grit and kind of stick to itness, if you will, that you bring to whatever you do. But what does that, what does that really look like? Because somebody maybe say, oh yeah, Destiny's, you know, living a great life now. And, you know, she's maybe had some luck along the way, which maybe you have, but, but my guess is there's probably a method to a certain degree that you use. So use any example that you want. But what do you actually do? Like, what does day in and day out look like for Destiny when she's, you know, being told no, but but does well in the end? I think for me, it kind of starts internally with I want people to accept me and like me, and that may have come from the fact that I was bullied as a kid. It was really hard for me to make friends. You know, I had a great family, so. I felt loved and I felt appreciated, but outside of my family, there was this, you know, wanting to be like this approval. You're looking for an approval. And so when somebody says no to me, I almost take it as, oh, they don't like what I'm doing or they don't like how I'm doing it and I'm disappointing them. And so I try to figure out a way to make them feel happy to approve of what I'm doing. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I actually think it becomes more of an internal thing for me where I just want to seek that approval to not feel like I'm letting you down. It sounds like what you're saying is they don't see me for who I am and I can show them once they get to know me. Is that, is that kind of the mindset you've cultivated? I think so because I've I've been prejudged a lot like even having the name Destiny when I walk into a room most people start in the middle. So you start in the mm. middle, it's a neutral and you either go up or you go down on people's first impressions of you. Because I'm being entered into the room with the name Destiny, I immediately start low because everybody assumes that I'm dumb, I'm ditzy, you know, I'm my parents were hippies like that kind of thing. Like I always start at this negative point and I have to work my way up. And so I think, you know, even that too, it's developed at a really young age that I've got to work my way up to come to this like middle ground and to be where everybody else just starts naturally. I find that fascinating because most people would say walking into a room with a, a negative mindset it's not good, but it almost sounds like what you've done is you've trained yourself to walk into that room to say, okay, maybe I am at the bottom, but I'm going to move to that neutral point that you just talked about. And then I'm going to go beyond that. Exactly. Like for me, I'm a perfectionist mm. also by nature. So I do want to be the best I can be. You know, even if I don't know how to do something, I will keep trying until I can do it. Okay. Right. I, I always tell people that I'm a I'm not a master at anything. Like some people are born with a natural ability to play the piano or like they're amazing at sports or whatever. And I was always good at anything that I tried. I wasn't the greatest. I was never the best, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep trying until I get this. And at least I can be some sort of, you know, a team player in it. So even if I'm, you know, the backup singer, I'm fine with that because I want to support you. I don't have any problem being, you know, the backup to anybody. I don't have a problem being a team player, but at the same time, I do want to be as perfect as I feel I can be uh in my own in my own mind. 
I love this podcast because first of all, I learn something new every single time. And there's so many different ways at coming at life. And you've kind of shared something that you do that works well that I, that I absolutely love. And also sounds like to a certain degree, based on your prior comment, you don't bring a lot of ego to the situation. Do you think that's true? I th- I feel like I don't, but I think because I've developed a confidence in myself that I'm at a point in my life and I have been for quite a while, I grew up very fast. So I didn't, you know, I had a, I had a bit of a struggling childhood. Um, so I grew up fast and I think that with that came my confidence at a very young age and that confidence, sometimes people are triggered by it and think of it as being, um, the word I'm looking for is, um, when they are like, I am intimidating. That's the word. Mm. Sorry. Sometimes I come off as being intimidating and I don't want to be, that is never my point. Like I, again, I'm somebody who seeks approval. And so I may come off as intimidating, but really I'm trying my best to just be like really nice and really happy. And I want to get to know you, but I do feel that sometimes I do come, that sometimes people take it differently until they get to know me. And then all of a sudden they get to know me and they're like, man, when I first met you, I heard this about you. I heard that you're, you know, you, you're, you're hard, you know, you're, you're not flexible, you're intimidating. (laughs) Right. And it's funny to hear these things because I've heard it so many times and I, and I know that I can be, stubborn is a great word. I can be stubborn and I know that. So I try really hard to not be stubborn. I try really hard not to, you know, have it my way or, you know, no way. Or the highway. Right. Exactly. And so I do, those are things I recognize in myself and I know those are my weaknesses because I am a perfectionist, but I do my best to constantly pull back and be like, no, 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 no. I've got to let this person try. Um, and, and oftentimes then I develop these great friendships. Like I have such great friendships now uh, with people who at first maybe felt intimidated by me. <laughs> Interesting. What about this idea of approval? So you're always working to get somebody's approval, but you also said that doesn't always happen. So how do you manage through that when you know, you don't win that person over. Yeah, you can't win everybody over. Not everybody's going to like you. That's the reality. I mean, there's lots of people that I thought that I would, you know, hit it off with, whether it would be like a coworker or whatever. The end didn't work out. Like you just don't mesh. Maybe you're too alike. Maybe you're too opposite. It's not the, the important thing is not to seek approval from everyone. It's to do your best And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but don't dwindle on it. Don't hold a grudge. Like I'm not one to hold a grudge. I don't care about a situation that happened five years ago. I just move forward and you just kind of put it in the past. It's a lesson. What did you learn from it? What can you do different next time? You're not going to get everybody's approval and you're just going to have to let it go. What is interesting about that is your mindset when you're trying to win somebody over is I want their approval, but it doesn't feel like you're attached at the end of the day to their approval. It's almost a paradox, which is kind of cool because maybe the notion of, of winning their approval motivates you. But then if you don't, you're like, man, whatever, move on. Yeah. But I've also said I'd want to be the best I can be. And maybe that was the best I could be. So I feel satisfied. Interesting. Yeah. Can you talk about 
um, a comment that you made, which was, you know, I had a hard upbringing and maybe that molded who you are. There's a lot of us, I would say, you know, my, my upbringing for about a decade was not, was not great. And I, I probably attribute a lot of, you know, what I've been able to do in my life to, you know, a 10 year period of time that totally changed me. So if somebody's listening and they're like, oh, I'm going through hell right now, um, what would you say they could learn from that experience so that they could be more successful in whatever area of their life they want to be successful in? For sure. Um, so for me, my mom, obviously being part of the 60 Scoop, in Canada, we've been finding all of these unmarked graves. And it's kids who had gone to residential school who are basically tortured to say, you cannot be Indigenous. You know, you must be white. We're trying to save you. All of these things. And so, you know, my mom wasn't in residential school, but going through the foster care system at that same time was just as torturous. And so you can imagine she went through hell. And that obviously carries on. They talk about generational trauma. And so my mom was the most caring, loving, compassionate person. You know, if there was a, a search for somebody, she would be there with coffee to make sure that you know, the, the searchers had like warm, something warm to drink, you know. So although she went through this torture through like as a child, uh, she she was the light in that darkness and she didn't let it get to her and she taught me compassion. And so, you know, I didn't necessarily have the easiest childhood either. You know, I, I do suffer from some of the generational trauma that my mom went through and, you know, my sister and brother too. So they, they struggled as well. And, you know, I don't know why, but I decided that I needed to be the third parent in in our family, in our household. And, you know, I took that role very seriously because of what I learned from my parents. They're both very compassionate people. Like, again, my dad, he adopted me. You know, he he wanted he wanted me. He didn't just have mm. me and was forced to take care of me. Like, he chose me to be his child. And so, like – those things taught me a lot about compassion, even in hard times. And I remember even my parents, like we didn't, they didn't have the best job. So we struggled. And sometimes we'd go to the grocery store and we would need to take a list and we'd have a calculator and we'd have to sometimes put something back or maybe craft dinner was on sale and we'd all stand in different lineups so that we could max it out. But all of those things taught me that it doesn't matter how much you're struggling. At the end of the day, as long as you have like this family who has your back, you know, and you feel loved, you can do almost anything. And and I also learned that knowledge is power and that it didn't matter how much money I had, that the more I learned, the more powerful I would become. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was told I was dumb because I wasn't able to do well in school. And I was like, okay, well, how, well, how, how can I learn? What's my way of learning? And so I started just memorizing everything. And so I got around my dyslexia because I started just memorizing how words looked and I started memorizing everything that people said. And, and I just kind of figured out a coping mechanism to deal with that. And then when I got to, you know, higher levels of education or work or whatever, it was always just kind of coming back to, you know, my parents and what they put, like what they embedded in me. And that was, you know, you don't need to have all the luxuries of life to be 
feel love, to be happy. You don't need to have an education to be educate or a degree, I should say, to be educated. Uh, and so I feel like that that is definitely an important lesson. So it doesn't matter if you don't have all the money in the world to go to university or college or any of those things, or maybe you can't get bursaries or whatever scholarships. Education is still power and you can work your way up. So start at the bottom, work your way up. I did have a manager one time when I applied for a role that said, you need a business degree to get this job. You don't have it. You definitely have the um, experience for it. So that wasn't going to be a problem for this job because I definitely got the experience. But the question he asked me was, if you had your degree, where do you think you would be now? And I said, I'd probably be where I am now, but quicker. The difference is, is I wouldn't have sat in all those jobs leading up to this position. And I was applying for a role as a process expert. So what better way to become a process expert than to be somebody who sat in all the jobs in the process? So I wouldn't have been right. an expert. So like you actually, you actually understand the underlying processes versus somebody that may have come in over the top and is like, okay, this is my job. I don't understand all the detail, but I'm going to try to apply my logic to it, which, which quite frankly, I would argue you probably would have been 10 times more effective. A hundred percent. Like I would never judge somebody whether they had a degree or not. Somebody just coming out of school may have no knowledge of that job because you don't learn the practical at school, right? Totally. When you when you have the experience though, the world of knowledge you get from that is far beyond what you could get in a classroom for for a lot of things. You've said so many things that resonate with me, and I'm able to maybe even take it a step further because one of the things that I've reflected on, you know, meeting many, many successful people over the last 30 years is that when you oftentimes ask them about their backstory, they oftentimes don't come from privilege. They oftentimes have had very difficult times, you know, in their younger years. They oftentimes don't go to the best schools or even go to schools at all, university. And I think that there is something, and it's actually quite frankly, when I reflect on my kids, the thing that worries me, but you know, there's a lot of value in having to do hard work. I mean, you talked about starting working, you know, at 13 years old in order to help make, you know, make ends meet. Um, and there is a work ethic that is developed in those type of experiences because you have to do it not because it's just a nice to have. And so I, I do think this backstory of like having to do hard work and, and having to overcome challenges, your, your dyslexia. And I think if you channel it right, and I'm saying this because there's probably people that are listening that are struggling with, they may not be going to the best school or they may be struggling in a job, but like you can overcome these obstacles and not only can you overcome these obstacles, but it actually may be better for you in the long run. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like I learned grit a long time ago, just even through my mom. Like she always had multiple jobs. She worked hard. She showed us that, you know, you have to do this to pay these bills. But then at the same time, we had so much fun, right? So there was also this balance. But right. yes, definitely. Like I don't, I, I too don't know a lot of people that I've met in my life that are really successful who didn't go through some adversity. Right. And, right. and so I think that's important that those adversities is what really makes us 
it, sorry, those adversities is what gives us drive, I think. Totally. And, and you talked about gaining knowledge. What I find fascinating nowadays is, you know, parents will send their kids to an elite school, spend a boatload of money, and their kids don't learn that much. Whereas, you know, the knowledge on the internet, the, the content that you can pull down from the internet is endless. And so like, even if you're not going to the most prestigious school, just know that if you're actually serious about your education, there are places where you can get it uh, very inexpensively. Mm -hmm. um, and you can use that to your benefit. Now, there are some uh, professions that really do require a degree, but I would argue we're living in this enlightened age where you can get information and knowledge that we weren't able to get, you know, even 20 years ago. Use that to your benefit. 100%. Like even my mother-in-law, she works in high schools and she helps counsel kids to determine what's the best schools to go to. And she travels all over the world to these different schools. And one of the things she tells students, oh, you want to be a doctor? Well, you need a degree to be a doctor, but you don't need to go to the best school to be a doctor because if you go to the best school, they're only going to pick the top 10 from that school to get into the next level. And you're competing against people who are all going to have 98% averages. So go to the school over here that is well known for their programs, but now all of a sudden you're competing against different a gr different set of students, and you're more likely then to get picked for the next stages. And so, it's sometimes important to also take a step back and look at like where you are amongst your peers, right? Like for me, I knew I wanted to be the best that I can be, but I also recognize that I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room or the strongest person or the fastest or whatever. And so where do I put myself so that I'm at a level playing field to be recognized? Yeah. And I think for those kids that are looking to go into college, being somewhat clear on what you want to do. And that's not to say that you shouldn't go to college and experience different things and determine, you know, over the four or five year period of time, um, what your, what your area of interest is. I'm not saying that, but I can't tell you how many kids I know that get out of college, they come out with a degree and they do something different uh -huh. because they didn't give any thought to it, which is a big waste of money. I've, I've seen that so many times, which is why even for my kids, you know, I'm, I'm obviously saving up for them to do, you know, post-secondary school, but I also have no thought in my mind they have to do it. Have to do it. Right. 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 I totally agree. Yeah. I've got three kids and they're all on very, very different paths uh, I've talked about in the past. So Destiny, I want to get back to the business. I, I, I love the fact that we spent... Uh, this time on your backstory, because I think I now have a much greater appreciation for who you are, your values, you know, all of the different hardships that you've gone through, the way that you think, the way that you've uh, been successful in your life. So that was, that was awesome. I'd love to just understand where did your love for cooking come from? Yes. My love for cooking started with my grandmothers, both of them. Uh, my one grandma actually lived with us growing up for quite a while. And then my other grandma was like my second mom. My mom had me at a young age. And so I often was with my grandma. I feel like I became the seventh child of the family. So I look at my aunts and uncles. A lot of them are close in age to me more as siblings than as aunts and uncles. But my grandma, no matter what, she she worked full – well, I don't think she worked full-time, but she had a job. She worked for the school board, and uh, she had six kids, and she would still make fresh bread, homemade soups, you know, and I always – 
just remember going there and hearing the radio playing at 5 a.m., her in the kitchen, getting supper ready, even it didn't matter how busy her day was. She wanted to make sure that she was putting a nutritious meal on the table for her family. And I learned very quickly that food became my love language as well, because when I started learning how to cook, my immediate reaction was to cook for other people. And I also, throughout my life, would meet people like my husband, who is anaphylactic to dairy. And he was like, you know, I really wish I could have desserts. And when we go out to a restaurant, we they'd say, do you want dessert? And 99% of the time, he can't. And it makes mm. you feel bad. It makes me feel bad. I want to make him feel special too. And so I started to learn that food became my love language. It was my way of showing you that I care for you because I'm not – necessarily good with words. You know, I can have these kind of hard conversations, but to a degree, because I don't like confrontation. I don't like to put myself in a vulnerable position either. I kind of develop these walls through, you know, just experiences in life. And so for me, I will show you my feelings through food. And that's where, you know, it really developed at a young age and just wanting to feed people. And again, my parents didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up. And so being able to make something from scratch for them, I don't know. It just, I felt better. I think my parents appreciated it. I started to become Mm. the cook of the family and I still am. Like, I'm pretty sure my parents sometimes only invite me over for dinner because they know I'm going to (laughs) cook. So I just uh, I just drove my in-laws back to the airport yesterday. We live in Austin. They live in the Bay Area. And my, my mother-in-law was here for three weeks. And every morning, she would wake up. I think she's about 75. But she would wake up and she would pull out her cookbooks. And then she would go to the store. And she'd spend her entire day cooking. And I think the point that you made, now that I reflect on it, is she wasn't doing it for herself. She was doing it for us because that's the way that she shows her love to us. Um, And so that resonates deeply. For sure. My goal this year, 2023 goal, and I started it early because I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. So this became my quote unquote resolution probably about three months ago, but I realized I don't cook for myself and I really want to try this year to do that because when I have no one to cook for, I make grilled cheese. I have whatever's left over, (laughs) right? Like I, I, you know, bowl of cereal, I'll get, you know, eat chips, right? So I never cook for myself and I think that I need to really kind of rewind a bit and and you know find that appreciation for what I do for me right as well not just for everybody else why don't you believe in new year's resolutions I don't know I just find that you can set goals anytime and that it shouldn't you shouldn't be reminded oh it's the beginning of a new year I should set a goal I think that When you wake up every day, there should be some sort of goal. And I know for me, when I'm not learning, I don't feel fulfilled. Like I I love – my son and I play this fun fact game and we always have the most annoying, strange, fun facts that most people might not find fun. But both of us are very much into reading and learning and, you know, I listen to podcasts like crazy, but the things I learned from them, like even today, I was listening to a podcast and they said, they said something that was like, uh, it, it, it's a little bit 
uh, gory, but they said anybody, everybody is born a murderer. You just have to find the right person. And I was like, what? That's crazy. That's crazy to that they even said it. But then when you start thinking about it, I was like, you know what? Like if, if I walked in and something was happening to my children and it was like, you know, take somebody's life or my child's life's gone, you're right. Maybe I would be that like mother lioness and just prowl, right? So, you know, <laughs> like I I I love just hearing other people's opinions, their thoughts. I love it when people are completely opposite to me. I'm driven by those who are the opposite of me because I feel like I learn so much more as well. Oh my god. I totally got you just hit something hit on something that I believe to my core is that you learn more by interacting with people that have very different beliefs. Even for me, when it's uncomfortable, and what I found is it's the only way that I evolve my beliefs. Because if I'm just sitting around people who have the exact same experiences, who think and do the same things as me, life isn't that interesting. And I don't change. And I think actually the, the opportunity to change is what makes our human experience so awesome. Yeah. My dad and I fight all the time and people think we're fighting, but I feel like we're just debating and he is one of my favorite people, but we are very opposite in our belief systems for a <laughs> lot of things. But one, I learn from that and I feel he learns from that too. Like my dad when I was seven to now, he's a totally different person. And I think, and my mom used to go crazy. Like she would be so mad and she'd walk away because my dad and I were always debating. And I, even with work, like I've had colleagues where you're not screaming at each other, but you're definitely getting into a good debate. And I, I love those moments because I just feel like they're teaching moments from both sides. You know, what's hard interviewing you is you were saying so much that I wasn't planning to ask you. And then I'm like, oh my God, I got to ask her about this. So it's actually super funny. I told um, you we'd I, end up in this hole because I have I, I, so much to say. <laughs> I, I love it. The, the one comment I wanted to make um, is on this whole notion of New Year's resolutions. And, and I oftentimes think of a New Year's resolution as procrastination. Because as you, I'm thinking about new things I can do all year long. And it feels odd to be like, well, what is it today? I think today's December 7th. On January 1st, you know, 24 days from now, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And your point is just do it now. Yeah. And I think actually that is a key thing for most people. I think I've said this on previous uh, interviews. Like I actually don't think it's the the why and the what, like why you want to do something and what you need to do. It's people oftentimes struggle with actually just doing it. And your idea of like, if something comes to my mind, I'm just going to start doing it. No need to wait till January 1st. For sure. Some people call it manifesting, but I feel like if you procrastinate, it's never going to happen. If you physically seek to try and do, things just fall into place. And I don't necessarily believe that it was like – you know, a miracle or luck or whatever. But if I'm going out of my way to try and do something, people around me notice it and mm. things tend to fall into place from there. Like when I decided that I wanted to be a chef, how ridiculous is it for me to think I'm in this amazing, well-paying job that I worked so hard to get. Like I had to prove myself every single step of the way that I belonged. And I decided to just leave it all behind. And, and it wasn't that 
I don't love like what I I didn't I loved what I did. That's not the problem and I miss so many things about it, but I had to figure out, well what is it that I liked about those that job? Like what what drove me? And how can I how can I take the things that drove me in that job and just convert it to a different job following a passion that I've also always had but didn't think I was ever going to be able to do it? When I thought about becoming a chef, you know, there's a couple of things. It's a hard job. You don't get paid right. as much money. It's hard to, you know, make lateral moves like you can in a large corporation. It's hard to get promoted because there's only so many jobs within a kitchen. And so, you know, I had to think about, okay, I've got to come back financially. Uh, am I able to do that? And so obviously I was very lucky that I have, you know, somebody I, who makes, you know, money in my home. Um, but at the same time, I've never lived an extravagant life. Like I'm very much one of those people who I have the things I need, but like, I don't need to, I need a t-shirt, but it doesn't need to be a $30 t-shirt, right? Like I can wear the $4 t-shirt because like a lot of people, I'm going to get sick of it and I'm probably going to want a new one. So why not just keep buying more $4 shirts? Cause you can change it up a little bit more. Um, but I forgot the point I was trying to get at. Well, no, uh, yeah, but this is great because you, damn you, you, you just made me think of two new questions that I, I have to ask <laughs> you because I wasn't even going to go there, but, but, but you said you loved the job you were in. Like you really liked it. It wasn't like you were looking to get away from something that you were miserable, but you saw something potentially better for you. So can you take, can you take me through the thought process and how you ultimately got to it. Because the reason why I'm asking this destiny, there's a lot of people um, I would say it's greater than much greater than 50% where they're like, I would like to do something different. And there's so many things that hold them back. And so if you could just indulge us and just share maybe kind of the thought process as to how you got there and how you got confident that you could make the jump. Yes, that was the point I was trying to get at. So when I see if I just ask the question, <laughs> then it comes back. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So when I when I left and I decided, you know, what what should I do next? Like the job that I previously had before COVID was starting to become very challenging from a personal perspective, and so you know, I was one in this mindset of what did I do wrong? You know, how can I learn from this experience? You know, how do I make sure that I don't put myself in that situation again? Because it did get a little bit almost like an abusive relationship. And so, you know, you, you, the best way to describe it is you hear people who keep going back to abusive relationships mm, because yep. they feel like, they're the ones that did something wrong that they should do better. So I just kept trying to be better and better and better. And again, it's that mindset of me not wanting to give up. It's the mindset of me wanting to be perfect. It's the mindset of me wanting to get your approval. And for whatever reason, this time around took me a lot longer to realize that I can't do anything different. I can't do anything more. I just have to step back. And so first of all, I was almost put into a position where I had to think about my next steps. And COVID was also happening at the same time. So my kids were here all day. And I just turned 40 as well. And I I decided, you know what, I'm just going to start taking some like cooking classes because I know that food 
brings me back to this like place of peace, of comfort. I find food is medicine. It feeds my soul, you know, and as I've learned more about my indigenous background, I'm starting to learn that that's actually embedded in me, you know, through my ancestors. Uh, And so when I was Googling, I came across this school at the time was called Liaison. Um, Today it's called Top Tooks. And it was talking about how you could do basically like a three-year program in this really condensed period of time. And I wasn't thinking I was going to be a personal chef. I wasn't thinking I was going to own my own business. But what I was thinking was how cool would it be to go and do this school right now because I have the time and learn something that I've always wanted to learn um, and I have the time to do it right now, right? Like I didn't have the full-time job. My kids were here all day, but the school, Mm -hmm. a lot of it was online too. And while I was there, I started learning about personal chefing. And then I started learning that I didn't have to work evenings and weekends. And I learned that I could have my own business. And so life was kind of, you know, throwing these things at me like, Destiny, stop thinking and just do. And so I spent time you know, putting a website together. I I spent time talking to other chefs in our region and I started thinking about other people who in my position who also had the same problem as me and that was getting healthy meals on the table that didn't cost an arm and a leg, that you didn't have to, you know, some of these boxes, you still have to cook it and it will say 20 minutes, but if you're not a cook and you don't enjoy it, that 20 minutes turns into an hour. And so people in my life started vouching for me and they started telling their friends about me and it just kind of blew up from there and at one point I hit kind of a financial struggle where I had to go okay wait we're gonna hit this financial barrier at any point now and I need to really make the decision whether I'm gonna keep trying to become a personal chef or if I'm going to maybe like do consulting work part-time or, you know, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to go back to the corporate world I had left because I really wanted to give this dream a shot. And I felt like this was the only time and the best time to do it. Like uh, how many people during COVID found these, these moments? So many of us did. We found these moments of, I want to spend more time with my family. I want to travel more. I don't even want to live here anymore. I want to go live off in the place I always dreamed of living. So many people kind of came across that. I'm not different from a lot of them, but I did hit that kind of financial barrier. So then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to apply for this radio contest. And I ended up winning. So if that wasn't like the world hitting me in the head saying, you're doing (laughs) what you're supposed to do, I don't know what is, right? So a lot of it, I think, is internal. But I do feel like the right people come along sometimes too, or the right moments come along that just remind you, like, keep pushing, keep trying. You're making a really important point because you were like, you know what? I love cooking. I kind of want to do this. And I think what holds a lot of people back, and this goes back to my whole notion of, you know, it's not necessarily about the why and the what. Like you knew you loved cooking and you knew that there potentially was something there, even though you, you potentially didn't know exactly what it was at that time. But oftentimes what holds people back is taking that first step. And I think this is, if there's one thing I've learned in my life is just doing it because maybe you would have gone to that cooking class and you would have said, "Mm, it's not this, but the fact that you took that first step, you may have identified something else and you didn't even know exactly what it was going to be going into it. 
And I could say just even in my own personal experience, although I left, you know, my former organization on incredible terms, it's like the best, I always say it's the second best thing that ever happened to me beyond my wife. I was just looking for something different, you know, in my fifties. But the best thing I did, it was as I started to do coaching or thinking I wanted to do coaching, I was like, you know, what if I just sign up for the class before I leave my firm? And by just doing that, it then kind of propelled me into this world of coaching. And now I'm doing something that I don't even think I could have envisioned a year ago. But if I hadn't done it, if I hadn't just signed up for that damn class, I don't know where I would be. I'd probably be sitting around bored because I have nothing to do. Yeah. And I've signed up for a lot of classes before because I just wanted to learn a different way of cooking or a different culture. Mm. And it wasn't until this one class and meeting the right people, I realized like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I think I can be good at it, you know, and I feel like there is a need for this because I working in technology, as you know, like it's not a nine to five job. It may sound like it, but if a system goes down or there's a deadline that has to be hit, you, you will work crazy hours sometimes. And that means the, the sacrifices are your kids aren't necessarily eating the healthiest. You're not eating the healthiest. You're not taking care of yourself. And so I knew that I wasn't the only person struggling with this, but I decided that I needed to be the person to help put some sort of a solution out there. And it might not be the right solution for everybody, but now I have four chefs that are working for me and and we are all doing the same thing. Our whole goal is to help families, help, you know, working couples, elderly seniors get food on the table that's good and wholesome and feels like it was your home cooking, you know, but it's it's just there. And I, I'm so glad that I found the, the right people when I did to educate me on different things about being a chef. You don't have to be in a restaurant. You don't have to necessarily go to school for three years. Um, I would say that for any job, like some people just aren't the best at school, whether they have a disability or whether they just can't sit still or whatever. There's so many reasons why some of us just aren't great in a school setting. And why not look at other avenues like doing these very niche, you know, school education that might be focused on one thing and one thing only, but, and you know, they might not get the record. Like I know the school I went to, they might not get the recognition that they deserve because they're not, you know, necessarily they're being compared to all these other schools that have been around for a long time. But I can't say that I learned anything less going there. If anything, I learned more because I had to learn to, you know, study everything that somebody would learn in three Mm -hmm. years in like 15 weeks. (laughs) So you are kicking butt now and you, you mentioned the fact that you have multiple chefs working for you. Can you talk about the success that you've had to date and where you guys are at? Yeah. So we, um, so I started with this idea in my head in, uh, 2020, um, My mom ended up getting sick. So I'd already left my job. My mom ended up getting sick and unfortunately she passed away, but it gave me the time to be with her. So I kind of put it on the back burner for a bit. And then when she passed away, I didn't, I was in a position where I didn't really want to go and do anything. Luckily the world was shut down. So I was kind of forbidden to go and do anything anyways. But, you know, I just said, I'm going to work on this website. And so I started working on the website. You know, again, I'm lucky because I come from a tech background. And so I didn't have to hire a lot of people to help me with those things. And so by 
August, I said, you know what? I'm going to launch September 1st. So I launched September 1st, 2021. And within a month, I was completely booked for what I could personally do with clients because you can only cook for so many people a week. Um, And then I was like, okay, well, if this is doing so well, like what's my next step? Do I hire other chefs to do what I do? And so I started asking around about like, what does it take to hire an employee? Um, I really wanted to make sure that when I hired an employee, it would be completely different than what I ex- experienced. Um, my my son is huge into politics, and I'm a huge person of you know I've been blessed with what I have, and you know I feel this responsibility to give people a chance as well. And I I'm also not in it to be a millionaire, right? Like I want right. I want the people who work with me to feel like my equal, and so. I I started studying like what living wage was and I started thinking about what people would get paid because I can't guarantee them to have clients every day either. So that means they're not always going to get full the full-time hours. So I needed to, I wanted to adjust the pay so that when it wasn't busy, they were still getting a living wage. And I think too all that attracted a lot of employees to me as well. So when I put posted the first job and I put in, you know, here's kind of what I'm anticipating I'm going to pay you, I called out that it's going to be part-time hours with the potential to be full-time, but I can't guarantee more than that. All of a sudden I had all these chefs like coming at me and I was like, okay, maybe I have something here. And what a lot of them said to me was that they wanted to have an outlet where they could be creative we are working for individual people. They tell us what their needs are and we're creating custom menus for them. So it gives us wow. the ability to be creative. You know, we're not cooking the same thing every day. We're not, you know, it's not the same menu every time. And from there, I started having people in the indigenous community reach out to me because they were like, oh my gosh, you're indigenous, you're a chef. Can you cook indigenous food? And this concept came to me because I was watching um, Top Chef Canada a few years back. One of my friends was on it, but there was another person on it and he was an indigenous chef. His name was Rich Francis and he was cooking indigenous food. And I had never thought about that. Again, I was taken from my culture. I didn't learn anything about it. I always knew that I was First Nations. I knew I was Ojibwe. You know, I knew that my mom was like came from Rainy River. So I knew those things, but I didn't really know anything beyond that because you don't know what you don't know. You don't think about, you know, food. You don't think about, you know, um, celebrations, any of that, because you're not, you don't talk about it. You don't know. And so when I saw him, I was like, this is something I want to learn more about for me to walk through this reconciliation path. What, what's the best way for me to learn it? And I felt it was through food and that blew up. And I helped do an indigenous art show for this major company that exists in Kitchener-Waterloo. It's called Binghamins. They have like an amusement park, water slides. They have a big catering company that they've been running since 1938. They asked me to partner with them. And they had such great feedback that they said, what are you going to do with this indigenous side of your cooking. And I said, well, I don't, I'm only one person. Like I don't have a kitchen. I don't have, you know, all the staff. 
And so they decided to partner with me and they're letting me use their staff. They're letting me wow. use their kitchen. And we just opened um, an indigenous catering company called Cedar Spoon. So it's been one year and like two months. And I cannot believe like I even struggled with making the decision to go down this path like two years ago. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how does it feel? I mean, to have this much success and to be doing the thing that you were meant to do. I'm very, very grateful for everyone in my life that I have met along the way and the massive network that I have that have that I feel like I, I've, I've stood out of – I've gone out of my way to help people along the path of my life. And I finally feel like all of those things that I have done for people is now coming back because people are coming out of the woodwork that I kind of forgot that I had a moment with them. And now they're like, you know, standing up and going, look at Destiny, look what she's doing. She's amazing. And they're sharing my business and they're telling their friends about me. And it just feels so satisfying that no matter how hard my path has been, I at least feel like I've made connections through Mm. my life that at this moment is finally like feeling like I, I, I did something right. (laughs) You're bringing up a really important point. I was at um, the university of Austin last week speaking and somebody asked me a question about how do you cultivate your network? Uh, But it felt more transactional because oftentimes that's what, you know, people in business think like build the biggest network you can. And I think what's important, and this is what I said, is, is, you know, give without expectation. If you get into the habit of giving without expecting anything back, the irony is, first of all, you feel really good about yourself. But then when you need your network, they actually really value the relationship and they will do anything and everything for you. So if you just change your mindset with regard to how you look at your network and really build real relationships um, based on not expecting anything back, it could be huge. And it sounds like that's that's what's happening to you. Yeah. Like I had such a hard time for a long time saying no. So I don't like to hear no, but I also hate right. saying no. And I feel right. like it did put me in like a bad position where I never said no. And then I burnt myself out trying to help others. And so I did pull back a bit. And I remember when I did that, I felt like people were going to be mad or upset because I wasn't able to help as much as I used to. Um, but now I realize that it, those relationships or those those things I did for those people, they still appreciated it. So it it definitely made me feel better that it's okay to put balance in your life as well because you did what you needed to do for these people at the time. And when it's your turn and you finally say, I need help, because that's the other thing. I'm really bad at asking for help. Um, but when I did, like they were there and that that's really cool. Totally. And, and I want to make sure that I clarify a point because you also said something I totally agree with is is the art of saying no is maybe one of the most important skills you could pick up. So I believe that I've actually talked about that a lot. What I'm, what I'm really getting at is the fact that when you are building relationships with people, don't do it just based on what you can benefit from short term. The more you think about giving back versus, you know, 
I'm not going to give to this person unless I can see some sort of a payback within the next, you know, three months. That's a, that's a crappy way to live. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you adopt the mindset of like, I'm really just here to help people when I, when I do say yes, it will give back, um, big time. Yeah. I generally just want everyone to feel like I have their back right? Like you can come to me if you need me and I will be there. Whether you're a friend, a family, a stranger, I just, I'd, I've had so many great things happen to me up to this point, even through all of the struggles that if those people or those moments didn't happen, like I don't know if I would be as grateful as I am, but I, I, I paid attention to it. And totally. I, I just think it's important to, you know, it's one of those things I heard one time that says like, you're either the person who holds the door open for somebody or you're not. (laughs) Right. And, you know, even with my own kids, like we talked earlier about our kids kind of growing up more privileged than we did and Mm. there's us a bit. But one of the things that I have tried really hard to do for my kids is just learn by example. So, Um, I was stopped at a red light one time and a person came up to the side of my car and they were in their own car, but they're waving you down like they want something. So I rolled my window down and they were like, hey, do you know where this place is? And as I was describing it, I realized it was a bit complicated to just say it. So I was like, you know what? Just follow me. And I like completely like went off the path I was going and just said, follow me. And I drove them right to the building they were looking for. And my son looked at me and he's like, I can't believe you just did that. And I think that was a teaching moment for him because I didn't do it out of, I wanted to teach my son, but the way we lead our lives, that's what they're going to learn. And so they 100%. won't seem as spoiled. <laughs> yeah. If I've learned one thing in, in parenting, um, it is that it doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do because they, mm-hmm. they take the cue from that. Yeah. And I bring You've, my kids with me when I do volunteer work. Like my, mm. I always say my one son is my sous chef because if I need help plating or serving, I'm like, Hey, do you want to come? And he's always like, yeah, let's do it. And so I think too, just constantly introducing them to those things as well is important. Yeah. One thing I want to touch on, and then I'm going to have a few final questions that I'm going to call lightning round, because if I, if we don't go faster, I'm never going to get done uh, with this conversation. Once again, I could do this for, for hours with you. Uh, but you made a comment uh, throughout the conversation that I, I think is important, especially in the context of your journey, how you were able to create your businesses, but then also the thing that oftentimes hold, holds people back. Um, and that is financial considerations. And you talked a lot about like, hey, listen, my number one objective, this is literally what you said, is not to become a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also talked about the fact that you didn't use these words, but this is what I interpreted. You know, I am living within my means, maybe even below my means. You talked about the t-shirt, like I don't need the most expensive t-shirt. And I think that is such an important consideration because when I talk to people about doing something that is aligned with their dreams or their aspirations or their purpose, whatever you want to call it, it often comes back to money. And I think that is a trade-off that you need to get super comfortable with. And oftentimes it's not just about the money you make, it's the money you spend. And as somebody is beginning to think about potentially doing something different, I think you got to get your kind of proverbial house in order and really start to think about like, is it more important that I buy this new car this year or is it important that I take that leap and do something that I otherwise couldn't? 
Do you agree with that? I'm guessing you probably do, just given the fact that you've talked a lot about that, but uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. A hundred percent. Like I said, growing up, my parents didn't have tons of money. And I remember the calculator. I remember, you know, having to put food back because it was outside the budget. And I, I also remember at some point in my life, I don't know when, but I said to myself, I will know I'm successful when I don't need to take a calculator to the grocery store. So that was my idea of success, right? Right, right. And, and I think that because that was my idea of success, I have a different mindset of what success looks like. So some people think success looks like because you have a big house or you have a fancy car or you wear designer clothes. Some people think that and that's what makes them feel better. But if you want to follow a dream and finances where you're worried, you really have to step back and say, okay, do I need to you know, go on five trips a year? And if it's, yeah, I do, then what else do I give up? Right. Like, and it's not even necessarily giving up. It's what you feel is satisfying to you. Um, I, I know that I would much prefer to eat good food and drink good wine that costs money. And so instead of, you know, getting a big fancy car, I would rather spend my money eating good food and drinking wine. I want to travel. So I'm going to not have a giant house. And I'm not saying that I don't buy into these things, but I definitely feel that you should save before you buy. And I also feel like, you know, I I had this mindset of worst case scenario. I've been a worst case scenario for as long as I can live. So even with my husband, at one point he wanted to buy this car and I was like, you can afford the car, you can. But at the time he also wanted a bigger house and he wanted, you know, another child. And I was like, so if you have those things, like what, is it important to have the car or is it important to do those things? And so, you know, he pulled back on the car thing. Uh, But you know, you, you have to think about what is more important to you. And I knew that when I left that job that I wasn't going to be able to necessarily travel as much as we did before COVID. And, and, um, my kids maybe weren't going to, you know, be in like designer clothes and they never have been, I've never been that parent, but I just feel like those are things you have to think about. Like you will sometimes, sometimes you have to take two steps back to go five steps forward. And so I even say this in people who are in like bad relationships, a lot of times they stay there because they're like, oh, well, I don't want to lose my house. And it's like, okay, you might Mm. have to live in an apartment for like a year or two or more, but you're going to be happier. And then the happier you are, you're going to set new goals for yourself. Your drive's going to be different. And you know what? Before you know it, you may end up back where you were. You just had to take a couple steps back to get to where you really wanted to go. Yeah, totally. It's it's all about what we're talking about is trade-offs. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you really want to do something different, you need to step back and say, am I okay with giving X, Y, and Z up? And if you're not, that means that thing that you really want to do is not that important to you. I mean, it comes down to that at the, at the end of the day. Exactly. It's like when people say they want to quit smoking and they can't, I'm like, then you don't want to quit smoking. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So Destiny, I've got about four questions and we're going to do, I'll call it lightning round where maybe spend 30 seconds on each and then I'll I'll finalize or I'll finish up with the big question. Um, But the first lightning round question is, in retrospect, 
what was the most important thing that you did to get where you are today with your new businesses? I think the most important thing I did was just not accepting failure as, as like, you can't do it. So just give up, right? Like Mm. it's learning from it. I think to me, everything I think about and why I'm here today is because I didn't accept failure. I used it as a learning tool. And I think that's a through line in this entire conversation. There are times where one could say you failed by the classic definition. And I think what you're saying is, no, I just use that as information to move forward. hundred percent. Yeah. So with that, what have you learned about yourself on this journey? That I'm very strong, like very strong, very resilient. I'm very independent, almost to a fault. <laughs> um, but that resilience and that strength gave me the drive, the grit, the determination to get where I am. And it's funny because when I was little, I was the shy one. I was the scared one. Like I had a hard time like meeting new people. Even now, like if I go into a store and I can't find something, I don't want to ask. I just go to a different store. So like that that little girl is still inside of me and I still get really nervous. But it's also, you know, I don't think you ever lose that side of you. You just learn how to work together in harmony with what you want to do and what you actually are. <laughs> You're good at this lightning round. Um, so my, my third one, and I have one more after this, what was something that you thought was impossible at one point in time on your journey that you now don't believe is? I actually thought it was going to be impossible for me to use food as a living. Like I would still volunteer and cook at my kids' camps. I would still, you know, go to cooking classes and learn. And it was a passion I always had, but I didn't think it was possible because I thought it was a job you had to do that was, you know, after uh, like at night and on weekends. And I wanted to be, you know, there for my children. I wanted to watch them grow. And I didn't think I would ever be able to do this. And I'm so grateful I found the right people to teach me about being a personal chef and how you can make it work within your own hours. And so I, I, I can't believe I've gone back. Like I used to watch all those cooking competitions, you know, where they talked about the home cooks and I'd be like, oh, I want to do this. Like, it'd be just so cool to do that. And now I realize that, you know, the thing I've always wanted to do, but I didn't think was possible. Like I just needed to figure out a different way of going about doing it. I don't, you don't have to do it the way you think is the norm. You know, there's more than one way of looking at something. <laughs> totally. I, I, I wrote down as you were talking, I, I, I was like, well, the mindset of mo- many people, and I would say I've had this mindset most of my life. It's like something I desperately want to do. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that because there's no examples of doing it in a way that I want to do it. So I'll just give up. But I think what you're saying is there's always a plan B or a plan C and you need to apply ingenuity, creativity, innovation, whatever you want to call to it. And you potentially could find a way to make it work for you like you did with your businesses. Exactly. And I also was worried about giving up my old job because of the things I loved about it. And now the things I love about it, I figured out how to do it in the current job I have just in a different way. Like I love training people. Well, now I'm going into schools and helping teach them about the indigenous food, the indigenous culture. So I'm still teaching. And, and so sometimes you just have to think about, well, it, maybe it's not financial why you don't want to leave your current role, 
what is it what is it about it that you love so much and how can you translate that into doing the other thing you want to do as well once again i love what you just said because when i was thinking about leaving and doing something differently what came to mind for me is there are certain things that i love doing more than anything how can i create a future where I spend all my time doing that. And for me, I've said this before, like, I just like two things. I like helping people and I like creating cool stuff. That's it. Like if I can do those two things, hundred percent of my time, I am extremely happy. And so I think the advice or the guidance there is look at what you do, try to understand what you love and try to figure out how you can replicate that in this new future that you're thinking about. Exactly. Don't let it hold you back. Think outside the box. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. What advice do you have for someone who hasn't come from means? Oh, man. Education is power. Uh, and I don't mean that you have to go – when I say education, doesn't mean you have to go to some fancy school. You might not even graduate high school. But education, knowledge is power. Learn, read, talk to many people, you know, take many – take on many jobs. Learn, right? I think – knowledge is power. And I heard some, I think it was a movie a long time ago I watched that said like, you know, go and change your stars. And, you know, it was referencing like, um, uh, like knights and that kind of thing. And I always thought, what, like, what do you mean? And, and now I realize that, you know, we might be born into, you know, like a certain, you know, a level of life cast, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I know that the more we learn and the more we educate ourselves, you have a better chance through that knowledge of changing your stars. Totally, totally agree once again. And and once again, like we were talking about before, there is so much information out there. There are no excuses. And I'll give just a funny, cheeky example. When I started this podcast, I used to do one at my former organization, but I didn't do anything. All I did was ask the questions. And I was like, well, I got to figure out how to record this. I need to figure out how to edit this. And I just went to YouTube. And it's like everything, literally the exact questions I would ask, there would be a video on. And I know I'm being a little cheeky, but like literally, if you want to learn something and you believe in it, the information is out there. So there's no For sure. excuses. Hey, and YouTube, man, I'm so lucky. I was born in the era where YouTube became a thing. I I, that's how I learned how to use Excel. That's how I learned to bake cakes and decorate them, right? Like how, how powerful is it now that this knowledge is at our fingertips? And if you don't have access to a computer or the, the library does and you don't have to pay anything. So totally. never say you can't do it because of where you, you were born, because there are ways to go and get it for free. Even just talking to your neighbor and learning from them wow, the, the power that we have through knowledge, just, it's incredible. Right, right. And I think going back to that notion of, you know, not coming from means, if, if, if you're listening and you didn't come from means, or maybe you didn't go to the best school, I would argue in many respects, that is a strength. Because I think folks that have had to endure, or kids that have had to endure challenging times when they were young, oftentimes um, are more resilient and outwork kids that have come from privilege. Exactly. Um, and my kids have come from a great life. So I'm talking about my kids that I sometimes <laughs> worry about. But, uh, you know, when I go through the interview process and, and talk to kids, I always ask them, so tell me about your high school job and what did you learn? 
Um, and oftentimes it's like, well, I didn't do a high school job. Like, well, it's one of the best things you can do to really learn how to work in life. So exactly. So Destiny, my last question, um, and that comes back to the name of this podcast, Time to Sing Your Song. And so, you know, we have talked about how you have grown immensely in your life. You have taken all these different risks. You're unbelievably resilient. Um, you could have called it quits at certain times and like, mm, you know, for somebody like me, that's not my path, but you haven't. And so you now have two successful businesses and literally I was actually writing down the chronology. I mean, you said you launched the first one, you launched the website in September of 21. I mean, it's December of 22. So we're not talking about a whole lot of time, 15 months, and you've experienced all of this uh, short-term success. And I think it's going to be incredible going forward. So when you think about the journey that you've been on, is there a song or a genre or something that comes to mind from a, a musical perspective? This is time to sing your song. So what comes to mind? You know, it's probably the hardest question to ask because music is a huge part of my life. And I feel like sometimes I live in a musical. My mom was a very musical person. Uh, you know, that that was always embedded into us, music. And I feel like I have a song for almost every major thing in my life. And so even just listening to the radio, a song comes on and I'll remember the moment that relates to that song. You know, I'm very passionate about music. I love singing. I'm not the best singer, but I'll be a great backup singer. Um, but it's, I, I don't know if I can pinpoint it to one thing, one song, but if you were to say, what song were you thinking about in this moment or that moment, I could definitely name songs. I just can't think of just one that represents my whole life. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll come up with a answer for you. How's that sound? Sounds good. <laughs> maybe music is your life or life is music to you. And you're kind of living this tapestry of, of incredible music, especially connecting it back to your, your mom. That is who you are now. Yeah. So you can't be defined by just one song. Yeah, it's hard for me, sound? for sure. It's hard for me to have a conversation with anybody. And if they say anything, I often will just start singing the song that comes to mind when they say that thing. It's it's weird. I'm the same with movies too. You say something, it reminds me of a movie. So I'll like finish the quote. <laughs> Don't do movie trivia with me or song trivia. Okay. Next, <laughs> next podcast, I'll name after like movies or something, find inspiration. But um <laughs> Destiny, this has been, I, like I was joking throughout the whole thing, like I probably skipped about 50% of the questions I was going to ask you um, because you gave such rich answers that just brought us into new places. So I really, really want to thank you. I also want to thank our friend, Chris Mack, who, you know, talking about the power of network and relationships. I had not, I have not seen Chris Mack, I don't think since 2001, and just for everybody that's listening and under, trying to understand who Chris Mack is, he was a former colleague of mine that was in the Bay Area and then moved up to Toronto, uh, who Destiny worked with. And so you just never know where relationships will come from. And I am unbelievably inspired by you um, as a person, everything that you have done in your in your life and in your career and things that you've overcome. So thank you for sharing your story. And I wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you. And yes, thank you, Chris. I too had not talked to him in a long time. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Networks can yield amazing things if you leverage them like and we talked about. Exactly. And that's what I was saying. Like people that you've crossed paths with at some time, at some point when the right moment comes along, it, it comes back at you. 
One last thing, actually, I should have asked this before. Where can people find you and where can they order food from you? Yeah. So you can find me at foodzen.ca. And you can also find me from the indigenous side of things at cedarspoon.ca. And I'm on Instagram as well. Awesome. Thank you, Destiny. You're welcome. Thank you. Destiny, that was a whole lot of fun for me. You are an inspiration to so many, to your gigantic family, to the indigenous community from where you came, and now all the people who have heard your story. Let me leave you with a few takeaways. First, you may have been dealt a bad hand. So many of us are. But as Destiny's story brings to life, it's not what you're given or not given. It's what you do. The second takeaway is becoming a theme of this podcast. Just start. You can wait around forever. You can strategize. You can make excuses. But if you want something bad enough, just start. At the very least, you will open up possibilities for what previously seemed like an impossible future. Finally, stop thinking about your network as an asset that you need to see a return on. If you truly help people without expecting anything in return, you will build a network that will go out of its way when you need them the most. I have learned most people have something that they're looking for in life that at any given moment just may not seem possible. Over the last month, I've had several people, people that I don't even know, reach out to me about the impact that these stories are having on them and how it is inspiring them to do something about that thing that sits within their soul. Comments like this are pushing me to continue to share these stories, but I need more of them. If you have a story that you would like to share, or if you know somebody who does, let me know. You can send me a direct message on social media, Mike Kearney on LinkedIn and mkearney33 on Twitter. Or you can email me at mike.timetosingyoursong.com. Until next time, start singing your song today because as the anonymous quote goes, when tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you have left behind. Let it be something good.